Good morning. This last summer, my son and I, along with a good friend, we backpacked 250 miles in the high Sierra mountains. Everything we needed was on our backs. Well, that 22-day journey was epic, to say the least, and it had its ups and its downs, both emotionally but also physically. You see, we hiked, scrambled, and at times clawed our way up some 50,000 feet of elevation gain in one of the wettest, snowiest years in the last couple decades. I want to talk to you about day 18. You see, on day 18, we were coming out of a deep valley up to the upper Palisade Lake to get to Mather Pass. And as we were on our way, we came face to face with the dreaded golden staircase. There was no way around it. I stood there and I remember looking up with this kind of fake stony smile on my face, the purpose of which was to cover up this hint of dismay in my heart. And the reason was is because this golden staircase was the sheer rock wall that surrounded us on all three sides and it seemed to rise all the way up to heaven. It didn't snicker at us, it didn't smirk at us, it just stared at us impassively and we stood there and we stared back. I remember it distinctively because by that point in the journey, I had developed this searing pain in both of my Achilles tendons. And to make matters worse, about after about a mile up, I began to develop this knot or tear. I'm not sure what it was in my right calf. So you can imagine stair-stepping your way all the way to heaven almost with two dysfunctional Achilles tendons and one dysfunctional calf. More than once, I remember stopping and gasping for breath and then asking myself that question that's the bane of every backpacker, how will I ever make it over this mountain? Well, we did. We made it up the dreaded golden staircase up to Palisade Lake and we made it over Mather Pass. And here's the reason. You see, we were hiking the John Muir Trail. And our final goal from the very beginning was to reach the end of the John Muir Trail at the summit of Mount Whitney, the highest point in the contiguous United States. And that goal gave meaning to every pain-filled step that we took up that golden staircase that loomed directly in front of us. I can't imagine, I can't possibly imagine having done that. I can't possibly imagine how physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting it would have been to do that same thing, to hike and backpack weeks on end, completely lost, with no trail, no route, no destination, no goal. Can you imagine that? And yet it seems that Americans are feeling increasingly just like that. Lost, purposeless, and trudging about in a quagmire of meaninglessness. Do you feel that? I recently encountered a blog that's really hit me hard. It's really got me thinking. 
It's an intriguing description and analysis of today's angst-ridden society. You see, on the one hand, life is good, right? I mean, in fact, I think that we could say that we today live better than kings lived a thousand, not just a thousand, not just 500, but probably just a few hundred years ago. I mean, the spread that I've seen at the cafeteria here far exceeds the spread of any king only a few hundred years ago. Not only is it better than the past, but I can tell you from personal experience, without a a doubt in my mind, that we live better here in the United States than most places around the world. And look how advanced our society is to make life simply easier to live. We have computers that work for us. We have phones that are smart. We have towel dispensers that are hands-free. We have toilets that self-flush so you don't have to get your hands dirty. I mean, life is easy. And yet, as the authors of this blog show with painstaking care, referencing legitimate research, by the way, they say this, and I quote, addictions are up, suicides are up, anxiety is up, depression is up, rates of happiness are down, anti-anxiety and antidepressant drugs are up, Pills that claim to help you do things like sleep and have sex and pay attention are up. Deaths from alcohol, drugs, and suicide are now at their highest level since record-keeping began. There appears to be an epidemic of loneliness and sexual recession and a breakdown of trust, end quote. Thus the state of America's angst. Do you feel that? One person tried to express it this way in a letter, he wrote. Imagine a happy group of morons who are engaged in work. They're carrying bricks in an open field. As soon as they have stacked all the bricks at one end of the field, they proceed to transport them to the opposite end. This continues without stop every day of every year. They're busy doing the same thing. One day, one of the morons stops long enough to ask himself what he's doing. He wonders what purpose there is in carrying the bricks. And from that instant on, he is not quite as content with his occupation as he had been before. Then the person concludes, I'm the moron who's wondering why he's carrying the bricks. My friends in Christ, it deeply, deeply saddens me to tell you that this was actually a suicide note. The authors of the blog, they blame this general feeling of angst on an epidemic here in the United States of what they refer to as modern meaninglessness. Now I should add that none of the authors, as far as I can tell, are Christian. And the blog itself appears on a website, it's somewhat of a self-help website. I think their attempt to uncover the origins of this modern meaninglessness is both fascinating And from what I can tell is spot on. But in the end of a very insightful and thought-provoking blog, the solution they propose is, is essentially nothing more than an encouragement to just keeping on keeping on. That the quest itself is the game worth playing. Well, I appreciate their honesty in plumbing the depths of a real problem here in the United States. And I appreciate their effort to give guidance to a society that's lost in meaning, meaninglessness. 
And I suppose I can understand how, to a limited degree, how the quest itself could provide some sort of limited motivation. But is that all there is? It seems they're encouraging the questioning moron to keep carrying the bricks for the sake of carrying the bricks. And to give some meaning to it all, just keep asking why. Okay, it's a start. But is that all there is? It seems like asking me to take courage when taking that next step up the dreaded golden staircase because taking that step itself is what the hike is all about. Really? Can't we say something more? Well, I think we can. And I think the text that was read right before this sermon puts its finger on the solution. It's precisely what our text is about. It's about the end, the destination, the goal, and the meaningfulness of the end and the destination gives meaning to the whole journey along the way. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Christmas season when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And I love the Easter season when we commemorate that the impossible happened. The God become man, took our sin upon himself, and he died our death. And then we celebrate that death could not hold him. But he defeated death and he rose again to life. And we rise with him through faith. These two festivities, Christmas and Easter, serve as two foci of the Christian faith. And rightfully so. But sometimes we forget the end. That Christ who ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection, according to the Christian scriptures, is going to come back. And he will come back soon. At any minute. And when he comes back, he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no suffering, where there will be no pain, no death. All will be made anew. You see, in a way, the end gives meaning to everything else. The end reminds us and assures us that Christmas and Easter are not just things that happened a long time ago, they're not just old news. But there's still good news even today. And we know this because they're part of a bigger story. You see, the end doesn't just give meaning to Christmas and Easter either. Knowing about, trusting in, and hoping forward to and towards Christ's return. Well, that's God's way of giving meaning to things that would otherwise be utterly empty. Things like, I don't know, getting up in the morning, making your bed, going to class, grading papers, all of those mundane, insignificant things that we see ourselves doing here toward the end of the semester, or things like taking that next step up the dreaded golden staircase, or perhaps it's things simply like carrying bricks, to the other side of the field. You see, these mundane, seemingly insignificant activities become incredibly significant and meaningful when viewed as part of a journey that has a meaningful end and destination. Christ is coming soon.
You see, as it turns out, because of the end, the Christian faith doesn't just help in getting to heaven, but it also injects purpose and meaning into every minute of our life on our way there. This prayer was a prayer that was said at the end of church services throughout the millennia. It's been set aside in these last years. But I'd like us to stand, if I could ask you to stand, and to say this prayer together with me that's been on the lips of Christians for so many years. And so we pray together, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated.